Welcome to another inspirational episode of Monetizing Your Creativity. The day is made special because we're joined by a new friend, Greg Fitzsimmons. He's an editor and a producer, 15 years and counting here in Los Angeles. Came to LA, summer of 98, didn't know anybody, stayed on my uh, uncle's couch in Long Beach and just started calling up production companies, asking, you know, do you need help? Do you, I want to be an intern, I'll work for free anything. Monetizing Your Creativity asks the question, what does it take to earn a living with your creative talents? You know, you hear it all the time that it's show business. It's a multi-billion dollar business. Yes, it is about art, it's about creativity, but ultimately you're working for, you know, corporations and people who want to be earning money. We focus on the success principles common to all disciplines by interviewing producers, directors, writers, actors, cinematographers, music composers, animators, designers, and much, much more. Learn how to create your own path to success. Let's roll. Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of Monetizing Your Creativity. I'm your host, Marvin Polis, and joining me as always is my good friend, and hopefully yours by now, Fred Keating. We are back at one of our favorite places in Hollywood, California. Where are we, Fred? We're back at the Chateau Marmont on the cool side of the poolside, listening in on the swimming lessons that are taking place just beyond the, uh, the, the bamboo forest. The kids here. are having fun. Yeah, they are. And so are we, uh, sitting here a stone's throw from uh, iconic Sunset Boulevard. But the grounds are beautiful. The grounds are, and the day is made special because we're joined by a new friend, Greg Fitzsimmons. He's an editor and a producer. He's had a, a toe dipped in a variety of craft categories. 15 years and counting here in Los Angeles. Editor-producer. Now, editor-producer, Greg, because you were an editor before you were a producer or because you'd prefer editing to producing? Which is it? Well, actually, I'd prefer producing to editing, but uh, editing is the thing that I got started out doing. It's the thing that pays the bills while I can sort of build up to a full-fledged producing career. So editing is something that you have spent a lot of your time with. What are the sort of projects that you've been working on? Well, I just wrapped a movie uh, that was shooting in Japan, actually. Uh, I came back from Tokyo a couple weeks ago and I uh, was producing a, a horror genre thriller there, which I'm now editing um, here in L.A. Do you speak Japanese? Not one bit. Uh, how, how did that go? <laughs> it, was, uh, it was interesting. A lot of uh, pointing at things and a lot of uh, hand gesture, you know, nodding and kind of uh, agreeing, hopefully, but um, no, no verbal communication, which made things difficult in the production. How did that come about? Uh, a director friend of mine that I worked with a few years ago actually shot a documentary with him in China. He's from uh, Australia, a true global production, um, director from Australia shooting in Japan. He hired me on to help him make this movie in Japan. And it's so it's in post now. And uh, can you share anything about the nature of the film with us? I can give you sort of a loose overview. It's um, about a, a repressed man in society, a working man who um, is sort of unsatisfied with his life and ends up snapping and going on a killing spree. Greg, what got you into this business in the first place? You're from back east, aren't you? I am. Uh, I went to college in Arizona. I was a business major, actually, uh, business marketing. Growing up, did not realize that working in the movie business was a viable opportunity for someone, you know, growing up on the East Coast. I didn't think it was even a possibility. Um, so, you know, majored in business and then, uh, you know, always loved movies and always, you know, watched whatever I could and consumed, you know, constantly, but didn't have a, a channel for that, didn't know what to do with it. And I remember watching, it was Goodwill Hunting. I was in a theater alone, you know, on a Tuesday afternoon in Tucson, Arizona. And I remember, you know, being blown away by the movie and loving it and then seeing the, the credits roll and seeing all the people in the credits. And it was a moment that clicked for me where I realized, wait, these are human beings working in the industry to make this piece of entertainment that I loved so much. What's that all about? 
So that led my, my research into figuring out, you know, how do I become one of those people in the credits? So you were an editor before you got into producing. Where did you learn to edit? I taught myself. I picked up Avid, which is the software that is the industry standard for editing. It was not offered in school as a class, so I realized that I had to learn it somehow, um, and then just got my own copy of it and just started kind of playing around with it and figuring it out. Self-taught then, how did you actually break into the business? In, in school, I realized I wanted to research getting into the film industry. I came to LA, summer of 98, didn't know anybody, stayed on my uh, uncle's couch in Long Beach, and just started calling up production companies, asking, you know, do you need help? I want to be an intern, I'll work for free, anything. And made, you know, 30 calls, and finally one got back to me uh, and said, yeah, we need interns, we're starting a movie production coming up come on by the office. And it was for a movie called Lost and Found with David Spade and Sophie Marceau. Wow. Um, and I ended up working on that production all summer. So what do you think it was about your pitch to them that caused them to call you back? I think it was the I'll work for free. <laughs> they, you know, who, who doesn't like free labor? But it was a way, it actually worked out well because I, you know, was an intern, worked for free and kind of proved myself that I was a capable body. And they ended up paying me, you know, out of their good graces for the rest of the summer. So it worked out. I want to go back to U of Arizona because uh, you had then this early exposure, if not passing familiarity, with the business end of show business, which is a, a recurring theme in this particular podcast series. The need for craftspeople to either have that awareness and facility with the business side of the business, or in fact, build a team that has the accounting and legal advice and counsel one might need when you become a business entity. I think it's absolutely important because, you know, you hear it all the time that it, it's show business, you know, it, it's, um, it's a multi-billion dollar business that uh, you have to understand that it's, it's, yes, it is about art, it's about creativity, but ultimately you're working for, you know, corporations and people who want to be earning money. So you have to understand that side of things. Um, and I was a marketing major, which I find very helpful as I get later in my career. In what ways have you found that marketing major to be useful to you? You know, in terms of personal branding in the industry, I think it's very important to uh, establish, you know, what do you offer to, you know, there's thousands, hundreds of thousands of people out there trying to become a part of the industry. You know, what sets you apart from everybody else? Establishing your brand, establishing your, um, now in the age of social media, you know, what's your profile, what's your persona to the world? How do you, how do you market yourself to the industry? So at first, that personal brand was, hey, I'll work for free. That's not sustainable. So how do you brand yourself now? Uh, well, now it's, um, it's about, you know, when you're starting out, let's say producing, you, you throw up a flag and say, hey, I'm, I'm a producer now. And you just advertise your services to whoever you meet, whoever you know, you know, friends of friends. Um, and hopefully someone will come to you and say, oh, hey, I need someone, you know, help producing. Will you produce this for free, usually? And uh, that's the first producing gig I, I did was the same thing, where you produce friends' projects for free. You do it um, to sort of help build a, a reel or a resume. And uh, then hopefully you'll get paid for it later on, building up a, a body of work. And for the benefit of some of our listeners who may not fully understand or appreciate what a producer does, can you fill us in? Yeah, a producer uh, brings everything together in the project, whether it be um, money, crew, you know, all of the elements to sort of make the production move. They bring it all together uh, and then they um, help facilitate the production as things move forward. I want to follow up on the internship business because again themes that have come up in some of our other interviews Marvin that being that, that some of the best contacts and contracts we've ever gotten individually uh, have come out of offering our services for free to 
literally lengthen uh, what could be a two and a half minute audition or interview into uh, give me four to six weeks to show you what a good team player I could be. And sometimes it's volunteer work, right? Sometimes it's doing volunteer work for nonprofits, worthy nonprofits, and as a result, people get to know you, they get to trust you. It's also free education. Absolutely. You get to meet people. You're on site meeting people, increasing your own personal and professional relationship. And then, should the dollars become available, as Greg mentioned, it becomes a no-brainer. The kid's been working for us for a month. He stays later than anybody to get things done on time. Why wouldn't we pay him when we had the money? Absolutely. It's all about, uh, to me, positioning yourself for opportunity. You know, you, you can't, uh, things don't happen if you're alone in your house, you know, so you just get out there and surround yourself with, you know, people you want to be or hope to be around and, you know, you, you put yourself in position for success. I must tell you, as a, as a performer, uh, whenever I did get chosen, it seemed like I was the fourth or fifth choice because everybody else was unavailable. It was by default, not because of anything I had to offer until I started to produce a few shorts and found a how hard it was to find good help sometimes and that when you did and you kept what amounted to your team together never having enough time or money to do what you really want to do it was more of a chore to pull in an outsider than it was to pull in a a couple favors from your pals to say let's get this thing off off the ground if we could just get a few people on opposite sides of the table for one or two projects i think there'd be a lot more uh, common understanding that's so true. I mean, there's so many things, um, you know, that can go wrong in a production. You want to make sure you minimize risk. So when you bring people that you know are known commodities that you can trust, like you want those people around you through all of the projects. So the trick is how do you become one of those people that someone trusts and sort of crack yourself into that, that circle? And that's, um, you know, where the working for free thing comes in. You just want to prove yourself first and then it will work out down the road. Now I suppose that applies as well to your experience as an editor. You, you've worked on some pretty big projects. I believe you've worked on Dancing with the Stars. Is, is that correct? Yes, that's, uh, I've been on Dancing with the Stars now for, I want to say, eight years. Now how did you get that gig and how did the people responsible for that project come to know you and trust you? Looking back, Every editing job that I got from the very beginning has been word-of-mouth recommendation. I've never sent my resume blindly anywhere. It's all been jumping from one to the next with, oh, you know, I worked with this guy before. Previously, you'll like him. Everything's been sort of passed down the road. So uh, in, I think it was 2006, I was working on an MTV show called Maui Fever, editing there, and I met a a friend, uh, Tom Muskamp, who was also an editor. He uh, had just moved here from New York. He was working on this little show called Dancing with the Stars. We went our separate ways after the MTV show. He called me a few months later and said, hey, we're looking for an editor on Dancing with the Stars. Do you want to come in and interview? And then the rest is history. I've been there ever since. And that mainstream job, if you will, that that steady gig has provided you with the ammunition and the uh, opportunity to do some of your own stuff as well. Yes, it has. It's, it's nice because, you know, you work three to four months a year, or three to four months at a time for a season, and then... Uh, you take time off. So during that time off, I can either take another editing job or I can use that time to be working on my own projects. And I think this is a really good point because perhaps not everybody realizes as they look to a possible career in the entertainment industry that there aren't a lot of people who are full-time permanent employees, right? People work from contract to contract. Yes, which is frustrating at times, but you, know, you get used to it. It's, it took me probably five or six years to realize that, oh, I will keep working. You know, that, that fear of once a job ends, it's over, and there's no guarantee you're going to work again. It could be months, it could be days, you just don't know. So you have to sort of trust that the system will work out, you know, and hope that another job will come. Um, but it, it's difficult. Yeah, there's no, you're not a, 
an employee with a guaranteed job. And I guess from a personal financial point of view, you, you're wise to sandbag a little bit of money uh, just in case you need to carry yourself over for a few months to the next gig. Yes, that, uh, that never ends because whether it's you know, a self-imposed hiatus or something maybe dries up at some point, you, you want to have money sort of saved up. And then I guess there's also that opportunity to sandbag a little bit of extra money so that when you do have that hiatus and maybe it is self-imposed, then you can start to develop a, a pet project. Yes, indeed. Uh, and that's, that's been my um, sort of MO for several years where I will work, stockpile some money and then take time off to do my own thing in the hopes of advancing my career sort of further past that. Well, of course, in terms of ripples in the pond, your network is going to have grown alongside your, your years in the community. And, uh, and, you know, it's been our experience that Hollywood is a much smaller town than, than people might imagine and has uh, rewards for the, the players, those who stay in the game, if you will. Everybody recognizes the, the volatility of the work opportunities. But uh, now tell me, Speaking of stockpiling money, are you a member of the union? I am. And so you've got a retirement plan and with, with certain benefits. You're, you're protected, in other words, and, and they take a certain amount to make sure that you're going to be well taken care of? Yes, I'm a member of the Editor's Guild, which, uh, yes, there's a retirement plan, and there's also, um, I get health benefits through that, which is huge. For several years in my 20s, I did not have health insurance. That wasn't, uh, I didn't have the money or, you know, wasn't able to pay for the chunk of money it, it would, would have that happen. Um, but the union uh, was a good solid base to have to give you those sort of protections. And just out of curiosity for the uh, young men and women who are currently listening to this while they're putting together their own projects at any number of, of levels in editing, what does it take to become a union member? Uh, often folks will hear it's very difficult to get into certain unions out here. Different unions have different uh, requirements, but the Editors Guild, uh, you have to have a certain number of days on non-union shows to, uh, for example, uh, being an assistant editor, you can work, um, you know, non-union shows as an assistant editor, bank 120 days, I think it is, and then you go to the union and say, you know, here's my, my pay stubs, here's my days, then you pay the, the entry fee, and then you're in, that's it. They want members. They want people to be a part of it. SAG, I think, might be a little bit more difficult. You have to do uh, you know, non-union jobs as well, but those are a little bit harder to find. Is there an East and West chapter? Yes. So you can work anywhere in the States. You're a yes, member. Yes, exactly. Greg, would you do us uh, the honor of coming back and, and joining us in another conversation? Because we'd like to go a little further about the personable side of being a professional and staying in the game and playing it well as you already have just for our listeners sake uh, whatever craft category attracts them at the moment i would love to thanks guys thanks for tuning in to monetizing your creativity be sure to join us next time by subscribing to us on itunes or wherever you get your podcasts while you're there please leave a review it helps us with our ratings You can also visit monetizingyourcreativity.com for more information about the show. And hey, be sure to tell your friends who want to understand how to monetize their creativity.